0: What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 320, powered by Rageworks, broadcasting live Wednesday, October 14th, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show where I give my take on MMA, wrestling, wrestling. Gaming and entertainment. We broadcast live every Wednesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. On Wednesday nights, we cover MMA and wrestling, and on Thursdays, we cover gaming and entertainment. There are a couple of ways that you can participate in tonight's show. Of course, first and foremost, you can head over to MTRLive.com and you can join the show chat there and also watch a high quality video feed or live audio video. Via Mixler. That's the first way. If you are only able to access audio, you can use the official Mixler app, punch in My Take Radio, and get access to the show that way. And of course, last but not least, you can use our caller number, not hit option one to enter the caller queue, and you'll be able to enjoy the show that way as well. My Take Radio is simulcast on Twitch, YouTube Live, Stream Up, Restream. Vaughn Live, and a couple of other providers. As always, if you're at any of those other providers and really want to participate in tonight's show, I recommend you just head over to mtrlive.com and you'll be able to participate that way. We got lots on deck for tonight. Um, It is a shortened week for us. Uh, Last week, we did not do an MMA and wrestling show due to some event coverage that we had to do. And this week... Uh, we are doing an MMA and wrestling show, but there will not be a gaming and entertainment show tomorrow. Uh, this is primarily because we will be at the Get Geeked NY event here in Brooklyn, New York, uh, covering all the latest technology and also working with the Get Geek team on some show interviews, etc. Couple of stuff, a uh, couple of things that you guys can check out on rageworks.net and on any of our social media accounts, And you guys are, I'm going to try to periscope from the event. So we're going to try and do that as well. We're going to see all the latest stuff that many tech companies are going to have on display for this holiday season, including a lot of companies you may know, including Lenovo, JBL, RCA, Slingbox, SanDisk, JVC, and so many others. Like I said, keep it locked to Rageworks.net. We're going to try and give you guys content right from the show floor And, of course, we're going to try and get some videos, interviews, all that fun stuff. We're going to be covering that tomorrow. Now, because of that, there will not be a gaming and entertainment show. Um, The schedule for next week is we're going to actually have a full week of shows. Next week, we'll be at the Photo Plus Expo on Friday. And we'll be covering the event on Friday as well. In November, we have a couple of different events going on. So our schedule in November is going to be a little different obviously as we get closer towards november we're going to try and share all those updates with you guys but we have a couple of other announcements first up i'd like to announce that rage now officially has its own shop on t public really excited about this um, for a couple of reasons first and foremost because we are officially launching the shop today and because of that, we're running a really, really cool sale where you'll a- you'll be able to pick up any T-shirt for $14. Now, the cool thing is uh, we've partnered with T-Public to not only offer My Take Radio and Rageworks merch, but we are also offering from their full catalog of pop culture tees, including uh, gaming tees, movies, TV shows, stuff, you know, geek culture stuff, anime, you name it. We're adding new shirts every day. Uh, we're running the sale for $14 for the next few days. Make sure to check it out. We're going to put links to that in the show notes. But if you're on RageWorks.net, just hit the shop tab and it'll take you right to the store. A lot of awesome designs in there. You're going to start seeing some really cool shirts on air in the coming weeks due to our partnership with Tee Public. Happy to be working with those guys. And I recommend you guys check out the official RageWorks store on T Public. All right, so... Aside from that, which obviously I'm very happy to announce, a couple of other things. Obviously, if you have been on RageWorks.net at any point throughout the month of October, you're probably asking yourself, why is the site pink? Now, usually I'd say that you should be aware that October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but not everybody keeps their ear to the ground for stuff like that. I got to respect that. But in any case, yes, the site is pink for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, as you can see in the upper right-hand corner. We have our custom uh, MTR ribbon that was done for our Brawling for Boobies event, and we're going to make sure to keep that in episodes for the for the foreseeable future. And um, obviously, once the Breast Cancer Awareness Month is over, we are going to try and do some stuff with another charity, and that we're going to probably announce in November, trying to finalize that. Um most of you know the whole Movember campaign. We're going to try and do something with that. A couple of companies have reached out to us uh, earlier this week to see if we're interested in partnering with them. I cannot participate in Movember because I do not grow facial hair, but I know I know a couple of our staff are definitely of the bearded variety, so they can definitely uh, help us participate in that event. Once we get details finalized, we will, of course, share it with you guys as well. All right, so what do we got on deck for tonight? Uh, We got a decent amount of MMA news. Things have been a little quiet, and um, most of it is more so a lot of of outside-of-the-cage happenings. We're going to get into that. I'm going to share my thoughts on this week's episode of Raw, which was fucking terrible in a a short span. I also want to talk a little bit about NXT. I know last week I did not do an MMA and wrestling show, but I do want to talk about the NXT TakeOver event, which was... Just tremendous from start to finish, really, really impressive card, definitely leaps and bounds better than what we've been seeing on Raw lately. Also, of course, we're going to get into the wrestling news of the week, and as always, I will take your calls, 347-324-3541, again, 347-324-3541, make sure to check us out on mtrlive.com for the live video feed and to participate in this week's chat. All right, so let's get this ball rolling and jump into some MMA because like I said a lot of outside of the cage happenings and we got it we got to break it down so let's get to it. So the first bit of news I want to address involves something that has been happening over the last couple of months in the world of mixed martial arts, and it's slowly starting to take its toll on the fighters, and that is the announcement of IV bans for fighters that are looking to, we- to rehydrate after weigh-ins. As many of you know, the weight-cutting situation in the UFC is pretty much a non-factor for most fighters, but there are... A lot of guys that cut an incredible amount of weight, sometimes to their detriment before a fight, and they end up rehydrating via IV. Uh, The UFC and the commission have pretty much taken a very, very uh, strong stance against IV rehydration. And as a result of this, a lot of fighters that we've seen fighting in certain weight classes have decided to take their talents to higher weight classes due to the weight cut being so stressful on their bodies. One of the first being the magician, John Dodson, who competed at flyweight and is now moving up to bantamweight. He actually made the announcement on UFC tonight. And the thing is, John Dodson is probably one of the few guys that we thought was going to be able to take the belt from Demetrius Johnson. Of course, that was not the case. On the contrary, Demetrius Johnson in every outing continues to improve every fight. Every fight he continues to establish himself as one of the best pound for pound guys in the sport, and because of this, obviously he's pretty much cleared out his division and for a guy like John Dodson who uh, is a is a pretty big guy for his for his weight class uh, the move up to a higher weight class pretty much seemed like a no brainer uh, John Dodson's manager said that he's moving up to Bantam weight because he had originally knocked out current bantamweight title holder, T.J. Dillashaw, at that weight, and they believe that the weight cut and having to deal with the IV uh, bans for fighters is going gonna, is gonna to be something that's going to make it more difficult for Dodson to make flyweight. Now, obviously, this is a carefully orchestrated plan by Dodson's management to try and get him into a title opportunity. Now, of course, a lot of the rumblings that have been going around are the ones involving a super fight between Demetrius Johnson and TJ Dillashaw. Both fighters have expressed interest in participating in a super fight, and John Dodson's move to the higher weight class definitely makes things interesting. Now, the funny thing is, TJ Dillashaw is not only in the news for the super fight, but also because of his recent separation from his longtime team, Alpha Male, led by, of course, Uriah Faber. Now, this has been something that has been spoken about for quite some time in many MMA circles, especially with the big fallout between Dwayne Ludwig and, of course, uh, Team Alpha Male, particularly Uriah Faber. Now, with Ludwig's departure to form his own team and you know just train other fighters, including TJ Dillashaw, it became an issue where we were seeing less of TJ Dillashaw working with Team Alpha Male, and more of him working with with Dwayne Ludwig. And the thing that gets me about that is the fact that Conor McGregor jokingly told Uriah Faber on The Ultimate Fighter that he should fight TJ Dillashaw, and what TJ Dillashaw is doing is a bitch move. And me personally, I feel that TJ Dillashaw hasn't been with Alpha Male since he started going to another training facility to step up his, you know, title fight and his, you know, championship retention fights as well. So none of this surprises me. I think that the way it was handled was not good. I think that there was a lot of dirty laundry aired from many sides. Uriah Faber, uh, Dwayne Ludwig, T.J. Dillashaw, to a degree, and of course, seeing it acknowledged in the Ultimate Fighter raises a lot of questions as well. Now, T.J. Dillashaw has gone on record to say that he would fight his, team alpha, his former Team Alpha Male teammate, Uriah Faber. Obviously, I'm sure that that would be a good way for those guys to resolve their differences. I think that when you look at the situation with Team Alpha Male and TJ Dillashaw, everybody saw that when the guy won the belt with another coach that wasn't Team Alpha Male, you knew that the writing was on the wall way back then because TJ Dillashaw in every fight has continued to improve, And even Joe Rogan on commentary has acknowledged the fact that T.J. Dillashaw has become a more complete fighter since he started working with Dwayne Ludwig. Now, obviously, in in the sport of MMA, it's all about marketing and making sure that you're getting seen to get the most money. T.J. Dillashaw has been at the center of this situation for quite some time, and so has Dwayne Ludwig. And even Uriah Faber, to a degree, have all benefited, even though some feel that... It is negative press. I'm sure that the rest of them are looking at all press is good press. To me, I disagree with that. I mean, Dwayne Ludwig, if you've heard or read some of the stuff that he said and some of the stuff Uriah Faber said about him, you're going to feel that, you know, Dwayne Ludwig did Team Alpha Male wrong, and that's where the separation happened. Well, that's where the abrupt separation happened. For me personally, as someone who's been following the story, My take on it is that if you're with a team and you're not winning with that team, then pack your ball and go to another team. Don't play back and forth. Don't go to one team and train and then go to another team and expect that it's not going to look shady. As soon as, like I said before, TJ Dillashaw started training with Dwayne Ludwig exclusively and less with team alpha male. I knew at that point that the writing was on the wall. Now, a couple of things come out of this. Obviously, any time that TJ Dillashaw fights any of his te- former Team Alpha Male members, you know many people are going to be watching that very carefully, obviously, obviously due to the animosity and the separation that happened. Me, personally, the only fight I'd care about would be Dillashaw and Uriah Faber. I think uh, Uriah Faber, for a guy that's trained with Dillashaw for so long, knows all his tricks. I think he would definitely pose a problem for him and... Considering that you know the only other fight that he has right now is Dominic Cruz, I'm gonna be interested to see what challengers, if any, come his way if he were to retain the belt. Obviously, the arrival of John Dodson into the weight class is going to make things very interesting. But as far as I can as far as I can see, T.J. Dillashaw has a big target on his back, and it's not just from people in his division, but even from his former teammates as well. I wanted to switch gears and talk a little bit about Bellator. I know that Bellator has been in the news as of late because of their really, really crazy card with Glory, their one-night light heavyweight tournament, and all the madness and mayhem that transpired from that. But they're actually putting together a very, very solid card for their November 6th event. That's Bellator 145. Uh, there's going to be two title fights and three feature bouts. Bobby Lashley's finally going to fight James, James Thompson. Finally. And even and even though the fight is roughly a month away, it still concerns me that this fight may not happen. Both guys have pulled out of the fight for numerous reasons, either injury or just timing, et cetera. Even though it's penciled in right now, I just don't see that fight happening. And if it does, I'll be honest and say that Bobby Lashley will probably dismantle James Thompson at this point. Again, that's that's where I stand with that. Michael Chandler's fighting Dave Rickles. Uh, Pat Curran is taking on Justin Lawrence. Uh, Will Brooks is defending his lightweight title against Marcin Held, which I think is going to be a tremendous fight. Marcin Held has a great Brazilian jiu-jitsu background, great submission game. The dude is definitely the real deal. It's going to be a good fight to watch. Also, Patricio Pitbull taking on Daniel Strauss. Both guys always exciting to watch. I think that's a very solid main event. November 6th is the date. Uh, main card on Spike TV at 9 p.m. Prelims are on Spike.com, I believe, at seven o'clock. Former UFC fighter, and I say this with uh, a, a bit of a spoiler for those of you that don't that listen to the Joe Rogan Experience, a uh, former UFC fighter Brendan Schaub has made it official that he is retiring from the sport of mixed martial arts. Now, many of you have. Heard Brendan Schaub's name tossed around for a couple of different reasons. He's been a guest here on MTR before. Uh, He also has a podcast, Fighter and the Kid. Was previously in a relationship with Ronda Rousey. Spoke uh, negatively about her uh, post-breakup, which of course led to some very, very interesting MMA stories. And of course has been very, very vocal about the Reebok deal and the fact that he is not making the money that he should be making. Nonetheless, he announced on Joe Rogan's podcast that he was retiring from the sport. And um, the thing that gets me with with Brendan Schaub at this point, and I don't I don't dislike him as a fighter. I just feel that if you're being as vocal as you are about the UFC Reebok deal and you're kind of speaking negatively about one of their top stars being Ronda Rousey, I don't think that your place in the organization is going to be looked at favorably, especially with regards to the Reebok deal, because we are, we've are we already seen what's happened with uh, Jacob Stitch Duran, who spoke negatively about the deal, and countless other fighters that have spoken negatively about the deal. Now, that's not to say that the loss of Brendan Schaub hurts the heavyweight division, because it does. I think that he was definitely a guy in the top 10, uh, very dangerous, especially on the stand-up, but... I'm also going to be honest and say that with the resurgence of the heavyweight division, as of late in the UFC, I'm sure that a fighter is going to step up very quickly to fill whatever void he left by announcing his retirement. I will say this though. I think that the UFC has been a great vehicle for Brendan to create opportunities for himself outside of the cage. Like I said, the fighter and the kid podcast, um, He's been obviously an analyst on other websites and provided MMA commentary all over the web. So I'm sure that he will definitely find his place post-UFC. Now, it's interesting because most fighters that retire from the UFC, you'll hear that the UFC is trying to offer them something or keep them out there in some capacity. Obviously, while I'm sure that Brendan Schaub's stock isn't viewed in, in such a, you know, a high regard like Chuck Liddell or Randy, the natural couture or any of these fighters, usually the UFC tries to find things for their fighters when they retire. I mean, look at, um, look at Michael Bisping, uh, Daniel Cormier. Those guys are active, but they have very, very good deals with Fox providing, um, you know, analysis. Same thing with Brian Stan, who did retire. He's pretty much the face of UFC on Fox sports always, front and center at every fight, working every panel. And because of that, I would have thought that a guy like Brendan Schaub would have been able to provide some insight, maybe get a gig with Fox. But given how vocal he's been as of late with regards, like I said, to Ronda and Reebok, it's unfortunate, but I don't think that is going to be the case. Another fighter who has announced a move up in weight class is Hennem Of course, you know that Henan Burrell and TJ Dillashaw have had some memorable fights, and Henan Burrell has also had problems making weight. Should not come as a shock, but he is announcing a move to featherweight. Uh, the reasoning, of course, being that he's had weight-cutting issues in the past. He's had to be hospitalized, and Dana White has even alluded to it once or twice that he should go up in weight. Now, Henan Barrow is a very, very unique fighter, and I think that a lot of those really aggressive weight cuts hurt him, um, especially in the previous TJ Dillashaw fight, where you could see that he just was not himself. Obviously, Dillashaw was the better man that night, but I also feel that the weight cut and the way that he currently cut weight was just not very healthy. He'd either have to be hospitalized or he would be incredibly emaciated, by the time Waynes came, and because of that, the move to featherweight is not a shock. On the contrary, I think that there's a lot of interesting matchups for him at featherweight, especially considering how great his stand-up is. We're going to be watching that very closely. I'm curious to see who they give him first in that division. Another week of MMA news. Another week of positive drug tests. Joe Warren was suspended following a test for ma- positive test for marijuana post Bellator One Forty Three. Um, according to that, it looks like he's either going to get uh, all signs are pointing to either a possible six month to one year suspension and um, a fine of five thousand dollars. Again, you you know my stance on marijuana when it comes to the UFC. I mean Nick Diaz has had a uh, a petition online with regards to his suspension from the Nevada State Athletic Commission and it actually received a remarkable amount of signatures including one from yours truly and I think that marijuana in the sport is really going to have to come under some increased scrutiny and the reasoning I the reason for this in my opinion is because obviously it's becoming legal in more and more states, and it's being viewed not so much with the disdain that it was, say, 10 years ago. Um, Marijuana, of course, being used not only in cure, you know, in working with people that are dealing with terminal illnesses, uh, treatment of cataracts, etc. I think that as the years pass, I'd like to say within the next two or three years, I think that the way that the commission views marijuana is going to need It's going to need to be looked at once again, possibly ratified, only because there's people that have medical marijuana exemptions, Nick Diaz being one of them, and the fact that there's actual documented proof with regards to his particular case shows that we're going to need to really examine this a little closely. You know that it's crazy, the Nick Diaz situation, when George St. Pierre himself has gone on record saying that Nick Diaz's suspension and has been is excessive, and that he would try and do as much as possible within within the realm of of being legal to help Nick Diaz out he he said in an interview that Nick Diaz was great for the sport um, and that everything that they did for their fight obviously was just for their fight and that he respects Nick and he hopes that he'll have an opportunity to fight and hearing that from a guy like GSP who if you guys have watched has had a, an incredible rivalry with Nick Diaz especially leading up to their fight um, it got real personal especially in the in in the later going as the fight got closer and even though GSP went in there and had one of another memorable performance against a very game Nick Diaz, it shows that even bitter rivals can recognize when something is complete bullshit and again like I said in previous episodes I think the Nick Diaz suspension was excessive. And while yes, people can say he's had multiple opportunities, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, it's it's weed. Let's let's get serious. Like I've said before, if John Jones can test positive for Coke, nearly nearly kill a lady in a car accident, and the guy gets probation and all they strip his belt, and he's pretty much a a, a guarantee to be a lock in the UFC for a title fight sooner rather than later. I think that the Nick Diaz situation can be revisited and looked at as something that was handled very excessively by the commission. Simple as that. Now, I do want to talk about this fight that's coming up, which is the uh, fight with Stipe Miochik and Ben Rothwell. That fight was scheduled to go down this Saturday. Unfortunately, Stipe Miocic had to withdraw from the fight due to injury, uh, there were rumors that Ben Rothwell was going to get a new opponent. Unfortunately, that is not the case. The fight has been pulled completely. Ben Rothwell has no opponent at this time. And as a result, the Joe Duffy-Dustin Poirier fight is moved up to the main event slot. The co-main is going to be Reza Madati taking on Norm Park. Also on that card, Nicholas Dalby, Darren Till, Patty Houlihan taking on Lewis Smolka. Again, this card is is taking place in Ireland and will be broadcast on the UFC Fight Pass, which, again, if you don't have Fight Pass, you probably don't even know that the fight was going to happen. But, yes, there is a card this weekend. I'm a little bummed out because I really thought that Stipe Miocic and Ben Rothwell were going to square off with the possibility of a title fight in their future. Stipe has been very impressive as of late, really showing uh, great range really making a name for himself in the division. I thought that this would be a great opportunity to get himself a title fight, of course, that has been derailed due to injury. And um, it's unfortunate, that's for sure. But I'm sure those guys would do it again. Uh, ben Rothwell has said that if for some reason JDS and Overeem can't happen, if Overeem withdraws or gets injured in a, for his fight with Junior Dos Santos, he would gladly step up and fight in his place, so Rothwell definitely trying to make a name for himself, get himself noticed, make a make a big a splash in the heavyweight division. I think he's doing a pretty stellar job thus far, just with his post fight antics alone. Now, last bit of news I want to talk about involves Travis Brown. Travis Brown has been in in the news as of late uh, due to allegations of domestic violence, uh, which as of this episode. Seems that those charges. The UFC conducted an, an investigation and found that there was no wrongdoing on his part. He has been reinstated into the, excuse me, into the UFC. But the bigger news story seems to be his alleged relationship with Ronda Rousey, which, as of earlier this week, is official. Uh, both from Ronda's camp and as well from his, have acknowledged that they are "quote unquote" an item. Now, there's a couple of things about this that are of concern. Not so much the fact that two fighters in the sport are dating, but just the fact that even though the UFC conducted their own investigation with regards to Travis Brown and the allegations of domestic violence, the fact is that the guy's the girlfriend, baby mama, whatever she was, put some some really interesting photos, obviously showing that she was injured Uh, bruised up, etc., and laid the blame on Travis Brown. Now, do I think that the organization, that the UFC was right to go out and investigate? Absolutely. But I also feel that, you know, law enforcement and their investigation should take, uh, should have more weight than it has thus far. I'm not saying that the guy is guilty or not guilty. All I'm saying is that, you're only going by whatever quote-unquote investigation the UFC has conducted and not just with the investigation being conducted by authorities. That's that's where I stand. Now, a couple of people have been saying that one of the reasons why the UFC conducted where their investigation was obviously because of his quote-unquote relationship with Ronda. I, I don't want to say that's the case. I think that there's there's definitely more here. And I do feel that the UFC, much like any other organization, has to take um, domestic violence situations very, very seriously, obviously, because if they don't handle them or address them accordingly, they will obviously hurt the sport in terms of just public appeal. And when it comes to public appeal, the UFC is definitely trying to stay on the public's good side, especially when they still are awaiting um, approval to have events here in New York state. We're going to be watching this story very closely like I said even though Travis Brown has been cleared by the by the UFC and is cleared to resume fighting, I do feel that the UFC's quote-unquote 7 week investigation was done more so for the sake of the organization versus the sake of the fighter. Again, that's just my take on it. Anyway, as I said, quiet week in MMA this week. That is going to wrap up the MMA news. I do, I did want to answer one thing before we move on to wrestling. I know a couple of guys have asked on social media if I am watching The Ultimate Fighter. And the reason I haven't been addressing it on air is because I've been watching it via DVR. And I don't get to watch it before we do this this show. Usually I'll end up watching the ultimate fighter tomorrow or Friday. And because of that, there's makes no sense talking about this week's show next week when, you know, you guys already know the results. Nonetheless, I am watching it and I do think it's a pretty solid season. I think Conor McGregor's antics were part of the reason why, but I also feel that they got a really, really good mix of us and UK talent. So definitely good fights this season. That's for damn sure. Um, A little bummed out that Uriah Faber is not fighting Conor McGregor, but as many people have said, and I'm leaning towards, this was done just to keep Conor in the public eye while Jose Aldo gets over his injury and Conor McGregor gets over his alleged injuries as well. But not a bad season, not a great season either, but good enough to keep me tuning in every week. All right, with that, let's switch gears. Let's jump into the wrestling news. Booker T, take us away. We want the gold, sucker! Oh, Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga! We're going up tonight hey. to kick out hey. To get we want to hey. take everything inside. Hey. We're going till the world stops turning while we burn it to the ground tonight. All right, so I want to get the ball rolling with Raw before I get into the wrestling news of the week. And one of the things that's been of concern as of late is the fact that episodes of Raw have not been faring well with regards to the ratings. Now, obviously, the easy answer is Monday Night Football, Major League Baseball playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. But I'll be honest when I say that most times the Raw rating, yes, it does take a slight hit, but it doesn't take the hit that it's been taking as of late. Now, obviously, there are a lot of factors at play with regards to people being interested in the current product. Obviously, the people involved in the current, let me rephrase that, the people that are front and center Monday nights, maybe they're just not connecting with the audience like they should. I'll be honest when I say that because when you look at it, you have Seth Rollins, a guy who is probably one of the best heels on the roster. Incredibly gifted both on the on the, you know, in on the microphone, in the ring, the, the the guy's the real deal head to toe. And you pretty much have him in a feud with a guy that hasn't been legitimately relevant in at least 5 years, 10 10 being brutally honest. Look, I like Kane I thought Kane was a great character when I was a kid. Kane, in his current incarnation, while it's interesting and amusing what they've been doing with the whole split personality, multiple personality angle, I do feel that you have a roster chock full of athletic, entertaining, and engaging individuals. And the fact that Seth Rollins has to be in a match with Kane as the main event is is heartbreaking. Jimbo Slice says Raw just flat out sucks. You know what it is? It's very easy, and I and I understand where he's coming from. It's very easy for me to come on on air and say that Raw is just complete shit. That's that's the easy way out. But in watching Raw, I try to find like as usual the high points and the low points of the broadcast. And for me, I feel that Seth Rollins as champion is great, but what they're doing to keep him interesting is not. It's crazy that John Cena as a secondary champion with the U.S. title has more, has more going on in that, in that spectrum than Seth Rollins has in the main event. Now, there's a lot of things that can be said that most of his challengers or the guys that can challenge him are tied up in other feuds. Obviously, Roman Reigns with the Wyatts, Dean Ambrose with the Wyatts, Randy Orton with the Wyatts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I stand by the fact that a champion is only as good as his opponents. And if you're having Seth Rollins go out there and have four and five star matches with shitty opponents that nobody cares about, all you're doing is damaging all the work that you put into making the guy a star. Simple as that. Seth Rollins is a very, very unique talent because, again, he's grown into the role of being the number one villain in the company. He's got the presence. He does mainstream media very well. And what you're, what you're doing is you're exactly what Jimbo Slice just said. Seth is a one-man show carrying the weight. And that's exactly what it is. John Cena, which many of you know is going to be taking time off, if you don't know, now you do, is a non-factor. And, and I say this with complete honesty. John Cena, whether he's on TV or not, is a non-factor. And the reason is because John Cena is always going to sell merchandise. John Cena is always going to be cheered and always going to be booed, and he's always going to have some level of interest around him, whether it's his work in the ring, his work with Make-A-Wish, his transition to you know mainstream star... The fact is that Cena is the buzzword of the company. And if you have Cena on TV or you don't, it doesn't really matter because Cena is in his own he's in his own league. Guys like Seth Rollins, guys like Dean Ambrose, um Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, um, Adrian Neville, great example, are guys that they need great feuds. To really keep the audience engaged. And I'll tell you. You take a guy like Adrian Neville. Super over. Super talented. An amazing wrestler in the ring. Sure his mic work isn't great. But his wrestling. Is entertaining. It's clean. It's crisp. And it works. Why can't a guy like Adrian Neville. Challenge. For the belt. Even if it's for one month. Why can't we have that? Or here's another example. Cesaro, a a, a complete, well-rounded superstar, has the look, has the wrestling. Again, mic work isn't great, but at least it's a fresh face in the main event. You take those opportunities away to put Kane in there. And again, Kane has reached a point where he should be transitioning to either a full-on, on-screen authority figure or a manager. Not a wrestler. And yeah, people are saying that Kane has been doing really good work with the whole split personality angle. And while I do agree to a point, I do feel that you're wasting Seth Rollins in this situation. And I say this because you're wasting him from giving us good performances in the ring because you want to have him carry Kane to a decent match. It's it's definitely not the move. As for Raw, as usual... The, re- the usual suspects continue to impress. Uh, the New Day had a good match with Randy Orton and Dean Ambrose. That was surprisingly solid, considering everybody that was involved. Randy Orton, as usual, is a guy that if he's motivated, you're going to get a decent match. And if he's not motivated, you're going to get a fucking dud. I definitely feel that the New Day have turned it up, but they're a- slightly directionless. And I say this because... They went from feuding with the Dudleys to kind of doing the authorities' dirty work. It's it's They really just don't have a consistent direction. That doesn't take away from the fact that they're entertaining as hell. Because that they are. The New Day are tremendous in any role that they're in. But I just feel that you, you have a, a stable of three guys that you can challenge for secondary title, Obviously, you can even try and challenge for the main title. And this goes back to what I said a couple of months back, where the New Day would have benefited from having four members. And I say this because you would have had one tag team, one mid-card guy, one main eventer. Unfortunately, you know, the three-man op, it's great, but this would have been a great opportunity to transition a guy like Mark Henry or if you wouldn't have put the primetime players back together, you could have put Titus O'Neal in the New Day, and it would have worked. And you would have had your main your main eventer with Big E to challenge for the main title. You would have had your secondary guy, either Titus O'Neal or Mark Henry, challenge for the USNIC title. And then you could have utilized Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston to challenge for the tag titles. Or you could have even had Kofi challenge for the secondary title, which he has a record of doing, and pair Xavier Woods with either one of those superstars and have a solid tag team. The problem with the New Day is that they've taken a shit gimmick, they've made it work tremendously, and now creative doesn't know what to do with them. Because one week they're super funny, one week they're they're going out there having tremendous matches, and that's great, but you really have to pull it together. And I feel that that's something that's lacking with regards to creative when it comes to the New Day. I'm serious. You could definitely do so much more with them, but instead you choose to kind of sprinkle them throughout the broadcast and not do something that really makes sense. If you guys remember when the shield burst on the scene, they were going out there, they were kicking everybody's ass. They were winning titles. They were becoming a force. When you create a stable in the company, whether they're heels or faces, the end game is that those guys end up holding all the belts and really exercising their power throughout the program. This goes back to the NWO. This goes back to the Wolf Pack. You could go back to Jersey Triad with um, Canyon, Bam Bam Bigelow, and DDP. There's, There's countless stables that you can name that have always thrived on controlling all the titles. You know, you could go to TNA, you look at Triple X and their state, you know, and that stable. You could look at the natural born thrillers in WCW. It's always been something where you're leveraging all your all your stable mates to do something that controls the entire landscape of the company. And that's what's lacking. Like if you would have put Seth Rollins with the New Day or they would have been working together, there's something there. But. They're not they don't they don't leverage that. It's like when I was joking around about six months ago about putting Bo Dallas in the new day to fill the role that Owen Hart did with the nation. Nobody likes Bo Dallas, but I think that putting him in there from a comedic standpoint it would have worked. And I think in a tag team with I don't know, a guy like Xavier Woods, we could have had something unique and remotely interesting. But again, the three the three man stable It's good and bad. And the fact that the new day has got so over is doing them a lot of is doing them harm and good at the same time because creatives hands are effectively tied. (laughs) Ah, Jimbo slice with his communique. Definitely cannot share that. Anyway. We had Naomi and Nikki Bella square off for the 85th thousandth time. A um, couple of things, Naomi, and I've said this before, super talented, but I kind of feel that she's taken a step backwards instead of taking a step forwards. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just the fact that she's not getting enough ring time. Something is amiss. Nikki Bella's ring work, again, pretty solid. She does a pretty good job, but both women, there's there's no clear cut direction for them. I hate to say it, but it's true. In Naomi's case, you took a a diva that was on the cusp of becoming the face of the division. You throw it, you throw her in a stable with Sasha Banks and Tamina, and everybody likes Sasha more than Naomi at this point. Naomi is essentially Shawn Michaels. I mean, um, Sasha's essentially Shawn Michaels, and Naomi is Marty Jannetty. I hate to say it, but it's true. When when when. When the faction comes out, people chant for Sasha Banks. Partially because of the amazing work she's done in NXT, but also because of the fact that she's a complete wrestler. Complete. Good character, great moveset, awesome presentation, can carry anybody to a match, can make anybody look good. Naomi, still hit or miss. Either you're going to get a five-star classic when Sasha Banks gets in there, or you're going to get a match that people are going to be like, damn, that was pretty good. With Naomi, you're getting either a really good match with a really good opponent, or if you have somebody that's not on on the same level or better, you're going to get mediocre matches. And it's a shame because Naomi's been on the main roster for longer, and you would have thought that Creative would have found a way to leverage that to make her more popular and get her more ring time. But I'll be honest, if I had to choose in terms of marketability, and wrestling, Sasha Banks would be first, Naomi would be second, and Tamina would not even be on the list. And that's because, like I said two weeks ago, the, the NXT landscape for divas like Tamina, um, Alicia Fox, and so many of the others on the main roster just hasn't been the same as for the divas that have been in NXT where they've been able to work together. Cultivate their craft, hone their skills, and make themselves better overall. When Tamina came up, uh, even when Emma came up originally, the landscape in NXT was not what it is now. And because of that, a lot of the divas on the main roster have suffered tremendously. Tamina being one, Alicia Fox being another, uh, Rosa Mendez, and so many others. They just haven't fared well because they haven't had those great opportunities that the current crop of divas have had, which is working with really good talent in NXT. The We had a US, a U.S. title open challenge with Dolph Ziggler and John Cena. Obviously, a lot of people were hoping that we would get into um, the whole total diva situation where Dolph Ziggler dated Nikki Bella, and that could become something that you could ingrain into the current landscape on television. I will say this: um, the match was surprisingly good, but I think that for as good as the match was, the ending was fucking terrible. I mean, I can see that they were possibly leaning towards uh, Ziggler and Cena possibly feuding, and I think that would be great. But I also feel that you take such a great match and you end it so terribly; it just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work well. It really doesn't. And it's a a shame because Dolph Ziggler's another guy that, as a mid Carter, has all the tools to make a match work. And when you heard that he was going to be in a match with John Cena, you said to yourself, oh, shit, this is going to be awesome. And it was, and then the ending just fucked it up completely, which is a shame. The Dudley Boys and the Ascension had a match, which was a complete snore fest from start to finish. Uh, for a couple of reasons, obviously the ascension. I don't know what happened from NXT to Raw, but they're just they're not entertaining anymore. They're not. I think maybe just because the the NXT audience made them appear better and bigger than what they were, but they just haven't translated well to the main roster. Now the tag match with Sheamus and King Barrett taking on Cesaro and Neville was tremendous. Even though the build up and the way that the match was put together was just, hey, you guys are going to go out there and have a tag match for whatever reason. The match itself was tremendous. I think that um, King Barrett would benefit from being in some sort of a tag team. I think that the landscape for the IC and U.S. title is a little bit crowded, and if you're not going to elevate him to a main event position, putting him in a tag team might be something worth exploring. I think his, his chemistry with Sheamus is good. And you might be able to do something with that if you if you leverage it correctly. But in terms of just having him out there floundering every week, it's pointless. Same thing with Cesaro. Cesaro and King Barrett are right on that same level when it comes to, they would be great mid-carters, they would be solid main eventers, but again, creative has nothing for them. Roman Reigns took on Braun Strowman, and I want to say that Braun Strowman, for the look that he has and the way that he's being booked, he just you can't put him out there in long-term matches. He's definitely going through the same scenario that Roman Reigns went through a couple of, I'd say a year or two ago, where I used to say that you put Roman Reigns in a three-minute match, you're going to get something good. You put Roman Reigns in a 10-minute match, you're going to get something decent. You put him in anything longer than that, and all bets are off. Same thing applies with Braun Strowman. He has the look. He has the move set. But when you get into the deep water in terms of longer matches, it's just typical big man offense that doesn't necessarily look good when you have a guy like Roman Reigns that definitely is not a a ring general. Not yet, anyway. I think that Roman Reigns, he's there but he's not a guy that can carry matches. Same thing with the the match with Rusev and Ryback. Um, Rusev is a is a solid wrestler, but he's not at a stage where he can carry anyone to a good match. On top of the fact that Ryback is a guy that needs to be out there with with guys that can sell his offense and make him look good. The problem is that Rusev is so much better that. It makes Ryback look amateur out there. Again, it's unfortunate, but I do think that in Ryback's case, Ryback would probably be better served, at least for the time being, in a tag team only because he's not going to win the U.S. title from John Cena. And Kevin Owens, yeah, you could kind of stretch out that feud, but you're not going to get anything more from it just because Kevin Owens is a better champion. Simple as that. Speaking of, uh, Mr. K.O. himself, he took on Kalisto in what I thought was going to be a good uh, big guy, little guy match. But I think that in terms of just the chemistry, they didn't mesh very well. And I think that's partially just because of the the contrast in styles and not working together on a consistent basis. Kalisto's a guy, much like Rey Mysterio, that you put him in there with a guy that can work uh, a, a lucha style or a hybrid lucha style you know you're gonna get really, really good wrestling, but the problem is that Kevin Owens is a, is a healthy mix of fast paced technical, but also you know punch kick punch kick. The problem is that with Kalisto, Kalisto in situations like that, he has to slow down so much that it just it just doesn't look as fluid as you would expect. As someone who's watched Lucha Underground and even AAA and Lucha Libre on some of the Spanish language channels you'd understand if you watch those type of matches and you'll see the difference between the quote unquote WWE Lucha style and the Lucha style that you see on programming, like Lucha underground AAA, a and any of these other promotions. The problem is that if this were a ring of honor match, or if this were a match in Lucha underground, or even on, on just the independents, we would have seen something more from Kevin Owens, but, he's had to learn, you know, learn the WWE style and Kalisto's had to learn it as well and it just did not mesh. I was when the match was was going to start, I said, "Wow, we're going to see something really good." And it wasn't terrible like I said by any stretch, but it definitely could have been better. We got ourselves the obligatory Divas tag team match which we it's it's anybody's guess. Either Charlotte and Becky win, Brie and Alicia Fox wins. Nobody cares. Simple as that. I, I really didn't give a shit about it. Um, our main event was the Lumberjack match with Seth Rollins and uh, the Monster Kane, and it was it was all right. You know, um, you know, Kane Kane won the match going into the pay per view. I don't really care either way. I think that it's just like I said, it's a placeholder feud. It's not really accomplishing too much. Uh, The lumberjack involvement was good; it was refreshing, but it was you know there was there was just so much of that match that just didn't mesh well. It didn't work well. The crowd could give two shits about it. I fast for I I watched the match. I fast forwarded the the bulk of it, and then I rewatched it only to you know get a firm understanding of it so I can address it on air. But Raw was just not. Crisp at all, like I said, a lot of wash, rinse, and repeat. Um, it really was just a very, very mediocre show. And you're building up a Hell in the Cell event with matches that nobody gives a shit about, which we're gonna address in a few minutes. But I, overall, like I said, if you if you watched Raw, or if you were flipping between that and the Monday Night Football game you really weren't missing much. And it's unfortunate because, like I said, you have so much great talent, some of the best talent within the last five years, and three hours of programming, and we just get mediocre shit. It's terrible, but hopefully the final show before Money uh, Money in the Bank, uh, Hell in the Cell will be better. We'll see what happens. Um, as always, if um, anything changes with regards to scheduling, I'll let you know, but all signs point to us being able to do the show before Hell in the Cell and give you guys our picks. With that, I'm going to switch gears, jump into the week's wrestling news, and um, I want to open it up with something that should come as not a shocker to any of us, but there are a lot of rumors, especially since they've been published by the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, that Tough Enough contestant Patrick Clark has allegedly signed with WWE and will be allegedly reporting to NXT later on this month. Now, this goes back to what everybody said about Tough Enough in the beginning, which was the fact that you're going to have a whole bunch of guys that don't get opportunities because of whatever reason. And even though they don't win, they're still going to get signed. And Patrick Clark has been a guy who's been, whose name has been thrown around. ZZ is another one. The blonde chick who did not win is another one, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not shocked. Like I said, it could be a, a matter of signing the guy and seeing how he fares. And if he doesn't fare well, then you cut him loose. But you go through the trouble of doing this show, getting people invested in these guys, breaking their hearts when they get eliminated because, you know, obviously you involve the public. But the fact is that you make Tough Enough not mean anything when you're signing these guys and it's getting out there that they have been signed, which is crazy. Because like I said, a guy like ZZ, he was over, he was interesting. But did you really need to sign him? Not necessarily. You could have let the guy work the independence, learn the craft the right way, and then revisit it later on. How many guys have we seen that have come out of Tough Enough, got cut loose, you know carved out their own niche only to be brought in later on plenty of examples John Morrison is one that you know he came out of the tough enough program he became a better wrestler and just developed into an amazing character you look at the Miz who was on tough enough Ryback who was on tough enough um there there's a lot of guys on the WWE roster that have that have snuck through the door via tough enough and They have worked out well for the company, but we also have to consider that these are guys that have also been honing their craft on the independents or trying to become just better performers. And maybe these guys have something that the company sees that we we did not. But I just feel that it wastes the exercise of Tough Enough and people's votes and just the overall process when you're going to sign these guys after the show. I really think that A guy like Patrick Clark, who many felt was a favorite during the show, to hear that he got that he may be signed by the company, I think is cool because I think that Patrick Clark has a genuine passion for this business. And I think that if you cultivate that and nurture that accordingly, you may get a decent superstar. But like I said before, it defeats the purpose of making people become invested in a show if everybody that looks like they have any remote potential are going to be signed along with the winners of the show. It's fucking pointless. That's where I stand on that. Now, I was talking about Mark Henry earlier in the segment, and I want to get into an interview that he did recently with uh, Philly.com talking about that he intends to retire after WrestleMania 32. And a couple of things. I think that Mark Henry retiring is the end of a solid, albeit very disjointed career. And I'll tell you why. When Mark Henry was signed and you saw this this strong, massive human being, you said to yourself, this is a guy that could be champion for years. And all of a sudden you see him sexual chocolate, all these terrible gimmicks. And then all of a sudden, you bring him back with the Hall of Pain gimmick. And it just takes off, and he becomes this, this force, this, this guy that can genuinely be champion. And creative squandered that opportunity. You threw him into a meaningless feuds left and right. And now, you're looking at a guy who's on the verge of you know walking off into the sunset. And when you look at Mark Henry's career, you're going to just remember more of the bad than more of the good. And I don't blame Mark Henry totally. I blame creative. I blame the fact that they couldn't leverage a guy of his size and his unique look and make him something more than just, you know, the token big black guy. Because that's what they did. If you remember when they tried the whole silverback thing and, you know, sexual chocolate, all this other shit, it wasn't until he, he started doing the Hall of Pain that we started seeing something different, something unique, something aggressive a new dimension to his character but much like Kane and so many other veterans it was too little too late now I think that before Mark Henry goes off into the sunset it would be fitting that creative involvement in something meaningful something solid and put him in there with a lot of superstars that not only he can learn from but that he has the opportunity to give us memorable matches before he calls it quits that's what I'm saying If Mark Henry is to retire after WrestleMania 32, giving him a run with, you know, an IC title, a U.S. title, something meaningful. I mean, they're not going to put the big belt on him. It's not happening. But give him something. Make him involved in something that people can look back at Mark Henry's career and be like, man, that guy had awesome matches with Kevin Owens and Cesaro. Hey, remember that feud he had with cesaro for the ic title or the u.s title hey remember those matches he had with john cena for the u.s title they were pretty solid that's what we want to see we don't want to remember may young giving birth to a hand we don't i want to remember good matches from a guy who had tremendous potential that was that was squandered by creative you know it's 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 unfortunate That Mark Henry, you know, he's announcing his retirement. But even if he stayed on board for another year, he's been so misused that it doesn't even matter. Same thing with the Big Show. You look at the Big Show, you see this big, massive force. And when you go through the Big Show's matches and his feuds, there are so many throwaway matches and throwaway feuds and and multiple heel face turns in the span of three months that you don't give a shit. I mean, the people that are chanting, please retire. I mean, they're, they're chanting it, obviously, for the right reasons because the big show doesn't need to be on TV anymore. But I also feel that the big show has been so damaged, much like Mark Henry, that they'll never, ever, ever be able to undo any of that. And the big show is going to be one of those guys that he's going to be talked about, but he's not going to be talked about like Andre the Giant or Big John Studd, or the big show. Or, I mean, um, not the Big Show, Kane, or even The Undertaker. You're not going to talk about those guys and the Big Show in the same sentence. It's not going to happen. Because the Big Show's career, like I said, is very, very lackluster. And it's not his fault completely. He's had shitty feuds. He's been involved in shitty stables. He's He's just had really shitty gimmicks. Like, right now, the Big Show is okay. But I'll be honest, There, anybody that thought that he had even a remote chance of beating Brock Lesnar, it wasn't fucking happening. On the contrary, that match in itself was just a glorified squash. And then to make matters worse, you continued to squash the Big Show the following week. At this point, and it pains me to say it, if the Big Show retired right after Mark Henry, no one would shed a tear. No one would give a shit. Only because it's, he, nothing meaningful has come out of the Big Show since the WCW days. I hate to say it, but it's true. The only meaningful memory that the Big Show has given me is watching the big boss man drag his father through the cemetery attached to the police car. That's about the only memorable thing I can think of with the Big Show. I'm serious. That's it. Oh, and him walking to the ring in WCW smoking cigarettes. That's it. I really would like somebody to tell me at minimum three matches that they remember the Big Show being involved in that were remotely entertaining. Aside from the Big Boss Man and aside from him being part of the NWO. Real matches. Because I'll be honest, the only highlight outside of that the, the, the feud with the Big Boss Man was him being jackhammered by Goldberg because that was insane when he did it. That's it. Everything else, fucking footnote. It, uh, you know, the Big Show's career can be read sitting on a toilet in 15 minutes taking a good dump. I hate to say it, but it's true. You look at his matches, you look at his feuds, nothing jumps out. Nothing was noteworthy. Nothing was worthy of, of being discussed at length. Everything was exactly that, footnotes. It's terrible to say, but it's fucking true. Anyway, moving on. I want to talk about Lana and Rusev and the announcement that they are engaged in real life on TMZ. Couple of things. Obviously, them getting engaged is, is fine. You know, that's, that's what people do. But when you have Lana with Dolph Ziggler rusev with summer ray you have this whole big angle going on and then the two people that quote unquote can't stand each other are are announced that they're getting married the company at this point just has to pull the trigger and acknowledge it because nothing is what it nothing is what it was when we used to watch wrestling as kids everything is is out there there's no surprises there's no secrets and it takes away from certain aspects of of the enjoyment of the product that when we were growing up watching wrestling, you didn't know who was married to who. And if you did, it was because you found out about it because you heard it through somebody else. Now TMZ is reporting on shit. All these other outlets are reporting these news, uh, you know, news stories like this. And it hurts in terms of just trying to do anything on the, on the regular product. Like right now, how are you going to do anything with Lana and Rusev when everybody knows that they're engaged for real? It's crazy. And because of that, while many people are obviously happy for them, I'm sure that creative is ripping their hair out at this point because they went to all this trouble to separate them. And all of a sudden it got out that they're getting married. It's, it's definitely a huge blow. I mean, it was kind of acknowledged on Raw, but at this point, it just looks so forced that it doesn't even make sense. Like, you're better off having Lana paired with Rusev for real and just going back to that. And the reason I say it is because since you separated Lana with from Rusev, nothing good has come out of out of it for either performer. Rusev is just working meaningless matches with Summer as his valet. No one gives a shit. Lana got injured, getting ready for training for a match, and her relationship with Dolph Ziggler doesn't even. There's zero chemistry. It's like, yo, let's make out. That's it. That's all they do. They make out. Lana comes out dressed like like a stripper from 1985, and that's it. Oh look, look at look at my airbrushed jean jacket. The fuck year is this? Dolph Ziggler's supposed to be this cool ass dude, and he has. Lana dressed like Kelly Kapowski from Saved by the Bell. Like, yo, what the fuck are you doing? And it's not not Dolph Ziggler's fault. It's creative. But, like I said, you're better off scrubbing this entire feud, putting Lana with Rusev, and just letting it work itself out, either as heels or faces, whatever the case may be. But you might as well leverage their relationship on television since everybody already knows that they have a relationship off television. That's all I'm saying. We got some roster cuts on the NXT side of things. It looks like um, Devin Taylor, who many of you may know as the chick that Dana Brooke patted on the head repeatedly every week, was cut loose from NXT, as was Cal Bishop. And Devin Taylor's been doing interviews on NXT for quite some time. She was a big part of Dana Brooke's little gimmick, but... um, I guess I guess it just wasn't working out, so they cut her loose. Now, the thing that gets me, and and I'm gonna use this to segue into NXT takeover, is that you can have anybody do interviews in NXT because the interviews just move the program along. Could be anybody. You could use Renee Young, Corey Graves, Byron Saxton, anybody, and it wouldn't really hurt the product as much. Only because NXT's product is built on the in-ring aspect more than the backstage aspect, and with that, I gotta say that Dana Brooke, even though she loses somebody to pick on, she definitely impressed me with her match against Oscar at at NXT Takeover. I thought that Dana Brooke took a, an incredible ass whooping, but definitely showed some 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 interesting you know some interesting developments in terms of just her wrestling ability. If she continues to improve, I think that she definitely will be a viable heel for NXT and even for the main roster. As for the TakeOver card, by and large, it was tremendous. I felt that the Iron Woman match, because that's what it was, was phenomenal. I think that the storytelling for the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic was tremendous. And I think that Apollo Cruz solidified himself as an A-plus performer, that I wouldn't be shocked if you see Apollo Crews on the main roster in six months. And that's not taking anything away from Tyler Breeze because Breeze is an incredible worker. And I think that there's a place for Breeze as well. But I think that if you're going to move Breeze up to the main roster, you're going to need to fine-tune his gimmick because you've got too many many similarities between him and The Miz on the main roster that you're going to have to do something else, something different. In order to set to separate them, only because I feel that Tyler Breeze is a better cocky heel than The Miz, and not only that, Tyler Breeze is a better wrestler. So because of that, while I think Tyler Breeze is going to have continued success in NXT, we can't leave him down there too long because he's definitely better than a lot of guys on the main roster. Like I said, Takeover was a phenomenal event. Uh, I got the I got more entertainment out of two hours of NXT TakeOver than three hours of Raw. No bullshit. Simple as that. Anyway, interesting news story that came out, and we're going to use that to wrap things up, was the rumor that Alberto El Patron or Alberto Del Rio is allegedly speaking on speaking terms with WWE again. Now, as many of you know, Alberto Del Rio left under a cloud of controversy for slapping a guy backstage who made racially charged comments in regards to Del Rio's Mexican heritage. After his departure, there was a lot of back and forth, both from the company and Del Rio in the press, about treatment, you know, Del Rio's treatment while he was part of WWE. Del Rio then went on to a successful career on The Independent and also a pretty solid career in Lucha Underground. And I'll be honest when I say this, Del Rio as a performer, as a wrestler, I don't hate the guy. I just felt that his character in WWE was shit. It really was. I think that the rich aristocrat was good, but the gimmick got stale very, very quickly. On the flip side, Del Rio and Lucha Underground, he had amazing matches great matches with a with a with a very very talented stable of performers. He wasn't an aristocrat, he wasn't booked in some over the top Hispanic Mexican JBL gimmick. He was booked as a guy who comes from a legendary family, is a legendary performer in Mexico and is out to pr- to prove that he is the best in the world. The shit writes itself. It's easy, it makes sense and with the right booking you don't gotta do much because the guy delivers in the ring. Now with regards to him talking to WWE once again, I'm not I'm not shocked about this. I've always felt that if you're a good wrestler and you can deliver, and above all, if you can make Vince McMahon money, he will always keep the door open for you. I'm serious. Whether... It's guys like Alberto Del Rio or the Hardys. Hell, even Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle can leave TNA tomorrow. And if WWE asked him to come back, he not only would, but he would abide by whatever WWE wants. Because at that point, you realize that the biggest opportunity and the biggest chance to make money is with WWE currently. That's not to say that promotions like Ring of Honor, New Japan, and Lucha Underground don't offer excellent opportunities. But I think those are organizations where you can flex your muscles creatively. But if you want to make a dent and you want to make some, some real money, you're going you're gonna to strive to go to WWE above all only because it's the biggest game in town and that's where all the money is. It's no different than, you know, guys that play in the Canadian Football League with aspirations of playing in the NFL because... That's where the money is. That's where the press is. That's where the fame or the notoriety is, depending on on who you are. I think in Del Rio's case, if the culture has changed and the person who said those those terribly, those racially, those racially insensitive remarks to him is no longer with the company, then I think it opens the door a little bit. And I think with the quote unquote necessity for a Hispanic star Del Rio definitely has the bargaining chip. Because in terms of wrestling, he wasn't a terrible wrestler. I think that Del Rio wasn't allowed to perform the way he has in Mexico and even in Lucha Underground. I think that the WWE style hurt Del Rio along with the gimmick. I'm curious to see where the story goes. There were rumors that they had also tried to re-sign Carlito. Same thing, trying to get a guy... To capture the quote-unquote Hispanic audience and I say this now much like I said it in weeks past you have guys that can capture the Hispanic audience already Kalisto the Lucha Dragons as a tag team Kalisto as a single performer you have the tools to create a viable Hispanic star on par or even greater than Rey Mysterio why they haven't done it I don't know But if you're going to bring back a guy like Del Rio and you're going to have him in matches with fucking Sheamus, you're not you're not doing the guy any favors. Yes, he may have more money in his bank account, but in terms of doing anything meaningful for his career, it would be a waste of his time. But as of right now, it's purely a rumor, but we will be monitoring it very closely. All right. So with that, that is going to wrap up the wrestling segment for this week's episode of My Take Radio, and it's also going to wrap up the show as well. So with that, I've given you my take on MMA and wrestling for this week. I'd love to hear yours. Hit us up on social media at Rage underscore Works on Twitter or at My Take Radio. You can also become a fan on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Official Rage You can also join the official Rage Works group. We'll make sure to include links for that in the show notes for this week. Quick reminder once again, there will be no gaming and entertainment edition of My Take Radio today, Thursday now, October 15th, as we will be covering the Get Geeked event in Brooklyn. But keep it locked to social media for our coverage of that event. Next week, we'll be back with MMA and Wrestling plus a gaming and entertainment edition of My Take Radio. All right. You can find archived episodes of this show on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio for audio. You can find video archives of the show on our two YouTube channels, MyTake Radio TV and Official Rage Works. All right, guys, thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate it. Make sure to check out our brand new T Public Store. Uh, very cool. The Rage T-shirt store is live. Head over to rageworks.net forward slash shop. Check out all the great t shirts, and we're going to start putting t shirts for our shows as well. So keep an eye on that. And as always, thank you guys for your continued support. We are out of here. See you guys next week. Peace.